0: hello everyone and welcome to another learning rebels coffee chat where all the cool lnd peeps hang out and discuss ideas and experiences and share their stories about lnd specific topics I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, where we strategically fix training that's broken and develop workplace learning that delivers desired business results. Today, the cool kids are sharing their thoughts and opinions about building business partnerships. Building business partnerships isn't just a nice-to-have skill, it's a must-have skill. And in the business world today, learning and development teams can't just focus on creating cool learning programs. Our role within the workplace today goes way beyond that. It requires a skill that may not be familiar to many L&D professionals and could be a bit uncomfortable to talk about. And that means being business partners. Being able to show how LD can directly help the business is how LD teams win the day. It's how they discover that elusive seat at the table. Smart learning and development teams know how to use their resources wisely, connect learning to business, and overall make a difference in the company's success. But being a business partner just isn't enough. It's about building business relationships. It's about the conversations we have beyond all of the scoping calls and kickoff meetings that we are a part of. How can we strengthen business ties and let the business know we care? That we care about the pain points. We want to work with leaders to proactively get in front of potential challenges. So the big question on the table is, Building business partnerships can be a tough nut to crack. Sometimes we want to be better partners, but no one is answering the door. How can we think differently and bridge the gap that connects learning teams to the overall business? So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, everyone, happy Friday and welcome to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. Today we are going to be discussing how we can be better business partners. What does that look like? And what is all of our responsibilities when it comes to being a business partner? And the blog that I wrote all about building business partnerships, but what I really wanted to address was that it's not just your team leads responsibility. It's not just the training manager's responsibility, CLO's responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility from instructional designer to LMS administrator to e-learning developer. Everybody has responsibility for building those business relationships. And I wanted to have this discussion today to see how we can do this better. And also, I know you guys have stories because we're all in this world together in this L and D world. And we've all had to deal with businesses. And so we've all subsequently then have stories to share. And I was really interested in the stories that you all have to share. And Claudia, I see you and it's so good to have you with us. I see a lot of faces that I haven't seen in a while. So welcome everybody to join us. So now what I'd like to know is who is going to share their business partnership story first. And maybe let's start with, you know, the times where we've tried and maybe were less than successful, you know, and maybe what were some of the lessons learned with that. So now who would like to kick this conversation off? I'll start. You start, Donna
1: it's because I'm such an extrovert. I, I still get like, if, if they ghost me or it doesn't work out, I feel like a high school breakup. Like my boyfriend broke up with me. It's ridiculous. Like I go into this, like, I really have to get myself back up after they do that because I give it a hundred percent. Right. And like you and I, Shannon, we haven't known each other that long, but I feel like I could show up at your house with a pizza and you'd let me in. (laughs) But I think that about everybody. (laughs) I need to make my message maybe a little more sophisticated. I wonder sometimes if I'm coming across as too friendly or too cousin-like, let's go to dinner for Halloween or whatever. Anyway, I, I think I need to put more sophisticated language maybe in my partnership development language.
0: That's interesting. That's an interesting take on that. What's your opinion, group?
1: They're all just thinking about what they want on their pizza now.
0: I know. Thank you for that. And you can by the way, show up at my door at any time with a pizza and I'll let you in. My instincts were correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you guys think? Is there a line, you know, when it comes to dealing with the business? Douglas, I see you emphatically nodding your head. What are your thoughts?
2: The answer is yes, absolutely. There is a line. And sometimes our enthusiasm for helping people gain knowledge, learn, grow, be better, comes across not the same as we intend it to, right? Same as our training has to, we have to take into the account, the learners in the same regards, right? What is that business? Who are they that we're dealing with, right? And and Mm -hmm. temper it slightly. And that is an excellent lesson and yet one hard to sometimes learn, right? We're L&D, right? We're supposed to be loud and demanding. Uh, I mean, uh, helpful.
0: We are supposed to be helpful. And I can totally relate to that. You know, you have a certain enthusiasm, right? And that enthusiasm bubbles over.
3: Maureen. So I just wanted to ask Donna, because you started out by saying you're an extrovert. And so you bring that energy. And so do you know if the people that you're interacting with are more introverted? I am learning that. So my
1: son is an introvert, and he gave me a book for Christmas one year called Quiet. Have you all read this book? Awesome book, Susan Kane. talks about a lot of things, but dealing with introverts. And Maureen, you're absolutely right. I was doing everything wrong. I wasn't reading the room, and I was not including the introverts or slowing down my speech so that the introvert has a moment. Because extroverts will just pop in and say whatever's on their mind and stuff like that, whereas an introvert needs a minute. Wants that pause. Yeah. So he taught me about that. And one interesting stat in the book, Quiet, they're saying that most of the introverted leaders quantitatively tend to be better. They're thinking more and talking less. But most of our politicians and CEOs and leaders, what are they? They're extroverts. So we're not giving our introverts enough space.
3: So I would say one thing that's funny that came to mind is this was years ago. I remember kicking off a a project and working with the lead And so when I first sat down with him, I was trying to go slow so we could go fast. And I was just trying to find out from him, how do you like to work? What are some of your preferences? When I communicate with you, do you want it to be by email? Do you want me to pick up the phone? Like these other things. And he was like, why are we doing all this? Like, we have this deadline and everything. And I said, okay, I understand. I was like, you know, I'm just trying to make sure that as we work together, we can, it works well. I said, let me ask you this. I said, For the outcomes of this project, what is going to get you the highest performance rating at your next rating? Like, what does the output need to look like to get you noticed in a positive way? And so, when I put it in those terms, I was like, okay, well, I can help you get there. And so then he was like, okay, yeah, that's what's in it for me. And now I want to work together. He was very hesitant at first because I was proposing something that was different, but he came around. When it was like, okay, yes, we can learn it this old way, but like, what are the implications if people don't do this right? And we finally, it got to be like, well, they could end up in jail. And I'm like, well, that's pretty big stakes, you know? So that's kind of like, we want to make sure that people know this is why it matters. So we're going to help them stay out of jail. So mm-hmm. anyway, to get to know the person and their work behaviors and habits, but also framing it in a way that's going to help them. And that it's going to be an accomplishment for them, kind of at the end of this project, helped mm-hmm. to forge that relationship.
0: Yes, I love all of that. <laughs> stay out of jail. The stay out of jail card. Nobody looks good in orange, right? That's what I used to say.
3: The main attorney that like used to say like this to the class of new hires, he'd be like, okay, put up your hands like this. It goes, see that? That's your view in the jail cell. Don't get there. <laughs> and so it was like, whoa, every scared straight, you know?
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. We're all going to remember that. We'll hold up two hands and pretend like we're looking out of prison bars. There we go. Yeah. And I think we can be overly enthusiastic when we go in. And the issue is that when we come from that position, we have a tendency to speak in the language that is comfortable to us. We start being really enthusiastic about what are your learning objectives? What are your learning goals? And how can we close a skill gap? And we, we start using terms like that, which don't mean a whole lot to the business and kind of turns them off a little bit. you know. So I think that part of the enthusiasm is reining that in and taking that more collaborative approach that Maureen was just talking about. So I think that that's an important element as well. JD, I also saw you nodding extensively, no, you've made eye contact with the teacher. So now, (laughs) now it's your turn.
4: I've had that as well, created a proposal, went to deliver it. And I met with the team that was um, in charge of the department and they all just seemed confused by that, the proposal. So there was a lot of, I guess on my part, not a lot of engagement prior to that meeting, which in hindsight, looking back, they were very busy understaffed so there was a few details that i didn't get clear before i even you know jumped and just went and created that proposal so i thought it was solid i thought it would benefit them in the long run but the the meeting kind of started off great but then sort of lost the air in the room and and it it eventually fell flat (laughs) i never heard from again that no wasn't the final for me. It was something that I continued to pursue. I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and, and launch this, sending them drafts, sharing drafts of uh, you know potential outlines with them. They never bit. So it was kind of disheartening, but I didn't let that stop me because it was something that I knew would benefit them. It was just a matter of how to get their interest, pique their interest. And those, because of their operational tempo, never never got to me. So it never evolved, but I still have those drafts, still have the training modules and I kind of refer back to them sometimes because it's good stuff. And, you know, if I can reuse it instead of reinventing. Yeah.
0: So what would you do differently in hindsight?
4: I think part of the problem with that organization was we were so siloed that a couple of things could have helped the silos making that communication channel before the meeting instead of my boss telling them hey you need to get a hold of jd he can help you and perhaps developing a rapport relationship with them prior to that meeting so having an in let them know who i am kind of get a feel for what they need and i keep going back to the the um the coffee chat we had with uh i can't remember his name he's he's in the uk he does training with andrew Yeah. He kept talking about capacity. So that's Mm -hmm. where every conversation I have now is about building capacity. And I'm so thankful to be in an organization now that I have a boss that he is all about building capacity here. So, you know, I'm over the moon about what's coming for our organization.
0: Well, that's great. And that's Andrew Jacobs. I'll be sure to pass the word to him to let him know that you were inspired, you know, and I think that you hit on something which is the building of the relationship before we start having meetings about, you know, the next big learning initiative or program or strategy or what have you. So it's about building that relationship prior to, right, rather than just jumping in. It's not unlike the only time visiting IT is when we have a problem, right? So can we build those relationships
5: prior to that? You know, so what other thoughts are out there? I think it's following the thread that's in the chat right now, which is leaning into that curiosity. I found that when you start asking empowering questions and really getting to know what's the root cause, what's indeed the need, right, and just really fact-finding that curiosity leads to a space of organic collaboration versus okay now we can collaborate on xyz right like just asking a lot of those questions ahead of time for me which is what i typed in the chat of helps me to avoid creative solutioning you know when i was transitioning from corporate to consultative space you know when you're in the corporate world everything's fast paced it's like okay what how can we improve and you just want to come up with the next big idea But that doesn't really work in the space of business partnerships, I don't think, when you don't ask the right questions, because you end up down a rabbit hole that you may not necessarily in. right? So just really leaning into that curiosity has been helpful for me.
0: I completely agree with that. Anyone have any experiences with that, where you've really sought out different people, different departments, you know, to figure out what makes your business tick? right? Really diving into that curious mindset that we all should have. What are your experiences with that? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm seeing a couple of things happening here. Stella, did
6: you have something that you wanted to contribute? It's a bit uh, different um, subject. I see myself more as a, a process improver. Sometimes, you know, I do online trainings. I think many companies have a problem with knowledge management you know too many products too many brochures too many of everything and the salespersons don't find it and everyone is complaining about it but no one really takes the initiative to do something about it and they always come to me and i have nothing to do with it and i know the general managers of uh, the sales organizations they meet twice a year and when the italian general manager complained again i said to him you are part of the solution why don't you go to the next group meeting of the general managers and propose them these five options i'm sure you have more options and discuss it uh, with your board manager and i'm sure he has an open eye if our sales structure of 100 person gets more efficient i wrote this a week ago and I didn't get a response, but I looked in my emails and yes, Roberto has answered and he said, very good idea. I go to the board, I talk to the head of the, the our big manager, I talk him about this project. So making proposals and give other people ideas, because if this is for salespersons, then the salesperson should be part of the project and not me. So." This is, uh, this was a great, great day this, (laughs) today.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, hooray, right? We should be celebrating that because this is part of building that business relationship is when the business sees you as the help that you can be, you know, as that real connector. And you tackle that, Stella, as it sounds like to me, from the direction of being the problem solver. I can help you solve problems regardless of where they are in the organization, whether or not they have anything to do with what I do. Let me show you through action how we can be good business partners with you. And I think actions speak louder than words. So if we can really lean into that space, sometimes we have time, sometimes we don't. But if you can really lean into that space, I think you're going to see great benefit. And I think what
6: they really like, these general manager, is you have five options. Option one, option two, option three, option four is a mixture of option one, two, and three. And the last option, dot, 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 you can think about. And that's when they think in options and don't use many words, straight activities, propose activities. And they only need to decide which activity and then it's done. I couldn't agree more. I think a
0: lot of business people are like that. Just come with me, give me options and let me choose.
6: And the last option is the option that is the best option. But they took the decision, so it was their idea to take action. Let other people shine.
0: And that is the theory of primacy and recency. So for those of you who didn't know, that's what that's all about. So typically, if you give people three choices or even four choices, they'll go to the first choice or the last choice because they remember what's first. They remember what's last, you know? And so there's a whole psychological theory behind that. And I'm with you, Stella. That's the way I operate too. It's like, okay, we're going to give you the options and I'm going to try and arrange this. So that way you choose the option that I want you to choose. Hey,
7: Sharon, would you repeat what you just said about the first option and the last option?
0: Yes. The theory of primacy and recency when I was in corporate and I would try to give them options and even as a service provider now is I give my clients three options and not because I'm trying to, you know, push them in one direction or another. It's just that people like choices, but not a lot of choices, you know, don't give them 15 choices, give them three choices, you know, a good, better, best. That's the way that I always put it into was a good, better, best, which direction do you want to go in? And I think that a lot of business leaders appreciate that because you're coming with them like Stella you're coming with them with solutions right and that's always a good business tactic yes and I agree with with uh, Nathan there we admire your bravery Stella. yes we do okay go ahead Deborah is there such a thing as too much
5: information?
0: I would say so okay I see lots of nods happening there.
6: I receive a lot of emails, too much didn't read, you know, too much didn't read. Even in German, we use it now. Everyone wants to have two or three sentences and that's it. No more.
0: But yes, I think just a couple of sentences. And again, it's understanding. Let's go back to how this connects with building a business partnership. This is about understanding your audience. And Stella clearly understood her audience. And so now there are some business leaders who want everything on a spreadsheet. Give me all the detail, put it in tabs, you know, et cetera. Then there are others that are just give me the bullet point version, you know. And so it's about understanding who's going to be reading the document. Who are you going to be in front of? And that takes what we started off talking about, which is building those relationships before you get into the meeting as with JD. So if we had a deeper understanding of who we were talking to and what their problems were, we would have a better foundation for building business uh, or strategy documents or business plans, et cetera, et cetera, because we would know who's reading them. Okay. For people who might be listening or watching to this, who may not be in a leadership position, Shannon Tipton, instructional designer, Three levels down from the business leader. What's my responsibility?
2: Ultimately, to give the best that you can, right? Be responsive, be, I don't know, empathetic to other people's concerns and or challenges.
0: Absolutely. And how does that instructional designer then start building a business relationship? What does that look like?
2: Questions, questions, right?
0: Questions,
2: questions, questions. So I'll give you an example. I, Please. with my long safety background, right? Safety guy shows up and it's like, everybody gets like weird. However, to use a popular TV show, I'll walk up and be like, Hey, what are you doing? Explain that to me. Like I'm a third grader. So by doing that, I'm not coming at them. I'm trying to be with them. Help me understand what it is that you're doing. Cause then right now. At the very least, we've established a little bit of a conversation and morph it from there, right?
0: Absolutely. And it's, I think it's also to build on that, Douglas, it's about not staying in your office. So if you are working, you're not working at home, you're working at the office. Sometimes if you really think about your pattern, your pattern is you know, you get out of your car you go to your office, maybe you make a cup of coffee, you go back to your office and then maybe you have lunch with some friends and then you go back to your office and maybe you have a couple of phone calls and a couple of meetings. And it's all very process driven. And so now how can you break out of that particular routine to get to know some of the other people around you, you know, across departments? You know, so I think that everybody has a responsibility. So if we go back to that instructional designer Who's the natural connection for an instructional designer? Where do you start? Where do you start building those relationships at?
3: It may depend on the structure of the company. I mean, so Mm -hmm. some of it in the size. I mean, so where I am, it's, you know, we have our client facing consultants and then designers and learning creation partners with them and collaborates. But we come together as learning and development professionals, so it's almost like the client facing person is the one who own the relationship. And so they help set it up. So our first kickoff meeting is generally just kind of like getting to know each other. We introduce anybody who's on like the team. So it's usually the subject matter experts are who we're speaking to. And the client facing person is the one that they're the ones who meet with the business initially, but over time, when we explain what the process is and what we're trying to do, well, then I can kind of go directly to that person who's in the business. And so a lot of it goes back to what Douglas said is questions, 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 but it's asking the questions that get them to think in a way that's different, you know, for maybe what they've been asked before, where they have to pause and think about what the response is. Or when I'm asking for like, you know, how would we measure the success of that? And it's just, You know, not making them do that like on the spot or whatever, but explaining why that information is needed or how it's going to be used, then people tend to collaborate and work. Now, there's other people who then get very closed off and it's like, why are you asking this? And like, I don't trust you. And they kind of then change the scope sometimes of the project because when some of those questions are asked, they realize like, "Mm, maybe we just want this one little thing and we're not going to, you know, we're not going to push too hard. So, we have enough work to do that we're not gonna, you know, <laughs> make extra work, work for ourselves. ourselves. <laughs> Some of it comes down to the culture of the company, how you would would be or if you would be speaking to that person. Sometimes I hate to say it, but if you ask enough questions of the person for me, if I ask enough questions of the person who owns that relationship and they really don't know, then it becomes like, well, why don't we all meet together? And they tee mm-hmm. it up about like what it is I'm gonna be asking. But I can be kind of like the bad guy or the bad cop because I'm asking questions that may make that other person feel uncomfortable, but in a nice way. But I mean, it is kind of like when you're asking somebody to be vulnerable and show you, almost like share with you, maybe what some of the warts are that they're sharing. <laughs> you know, like, right? you know, you just have to then focus on what the outcomes are and why we were asked to partner with them in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So, partner on how it's going to help them how it's going to be good for the learners and for the organization and focus on those outcomes and how that aligns to achieving our company strategy and priorities. I mean, it's like always link it back to how this is connected. So it goes back to that gold star. How am I going to help other people look good?
0: And that's another thing, isn't it? It's about we all have that invisible bullet point in our job descriptions, which is make the boss look good. Building these business relationships absolutely helps the boss look good because then you are in tune with what is happening around you. This then means that we have to understand the business. Do you understand how your company makes money, how your company loses money? Do you understand what the customer journey is? Do you understand what the employee journey is? Do you read the financial statements? Do you read the annual reports if they are available? Do you have a good working knowledge of what your business is about? And when I think about people who are not necessarily in leadership positions, again your, you know, LMS administrator, etc., this is where they can start building solid business relationships by ensuring that they have an understanding of what the business is about. So that way, when they do meet, you know, the finance guy in the elevator, they can talk, they can have a conversation. Am I off? What are your thoughts?
7: Maureen hit exactly on what I was going to say. And especially when Maureen said, you know, if you keep asking questions of that person, who's that that gatekeeper to your whoever your client is, Eventually they're going to be like, oh, why don't you just go, we'll set the meeting and you ask all the questions. And then from there, that's where you build that relationship with, you know, the stakeholder, the subject matter expert, whoever that is. And if you're not the leader or the client-facing person, that's where you build that relationship, is just starting to have those conversations and showing where you bring value to the conversation. And if you're the LD administrator, or not the L and the LMS administrator, and you're learning about the business, you can then help everybody see like, how can we better use the LMS to meet their needs? If we can get things to trigger at certain points, so enrollments are smoother for people or things become more apparent to them and helps them find the learning that they need to get. We can push things to people rather than waiting for them to pull it understanding what that need is of, of the business will help shape how we use the tools that we're given too mm-hmm. and again showing the value that we bring to the table that we bring to the conversation and really understanding what is it that this one person over here needs to be successful and Maureen said what can we do to make you look good
0: right how can you be a better solution provider and you can't be a solution provider if you don't know what's going on around you yeah. And one of the things that I want to keep going back to is the relationship outside of the scoping call. So I'll give you an example. Donna. Yes, ma'am. Donna works for Learning and she is a service provider. She provides a tool, et cetera. Now, it would be very easy for Donna just to contact me when they have a new rollout or an update or something like that. But Donna participates in the community and she participates, you know, on these calls and I, I get the occasional email for her saying, Hey, are you going to be around here there or whatever? You know, so she's built this kind of a, a uh, friendship for lack of better terms, because I, I do feel like you could show up at my house with a pizza and we'd we'd all be watching rom-coms in an hour and laughing over the craziness of it all. And so it's the it's the relationship building around the edges, you know, and authentic relationship building around the edges. So I know that Donna's not just blowing smoke around me, you know, trying to get a sale. You know, so it's something that's really authentic again around the edges. Where can we be better at that? That's my question for you right now. So, where can we be better around the scoping calls? Are great, the kickoff meetings, those are all great. And questions,
1: questions, questions. Yes, yes, yes. But what about the before and the after? No, but the follow up is key. And I'm great at relationship building, but I'm not a detailed person. And so, I'm thankful every day. I have somebody on my team who puts everything in color-coded spreadsheets for me. Otherwise, I couldn't do it. Exactly. Her name is Karen, and I'm not going to tell you her last name because I don't want anybody to steal her. Healer. <laughs> exactly. For example, the other day, I was struggling with something, and she switched us from spreadsheet to Jamboard, and it made all the difference. Like she, she understood my struggle. She just made the decision, hey, we're moving to Jamboard, and then I could take over from there. It was better. But knowing... Knowing your audience and reading the room in an authentic way is how we should be managing all of our relationships. Business is no different, right? That authenticity and genuine caring, not to be all flaky and hallmark about it, but people know if you're just blowing smoke or if you don't really care, if you're just there for the sale and no, the follow up is really what builds the relationship.
5: Mm-hmm. I also like the question of is everyone that's supposed to be at the table or in this room actually here? Yeah. Because we tend to be having conversations with the decision makers, but they're not as much in tune with what really is needed. So I always like to ask, is there anyone else that we can invite to the table to have this conversation?
0: Yes. That takes knowledge on your part, right? So there's a comment in there by Heather. Thank you, Heather. Her comment here in the middle, it usually starts by asking questions to learn something. It's again about that curiosity and Deborah, to your point, then you would kind of have to know if I ask the question, I'm generally not asking a question in that particular
5: setting unless I
0: kind of know the answer.
5: Douglas put in the chat or not the full decision maker. There's this decision making framework that I saw where you're supposed to have the decision makers and the advisors and those who are informed. Well sometimes those who are informed should also be at the table as well as some of the advisors so you can get a well-rounded view of what approach to take or you know or what approach not to take. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important.
0: Right? And again it's about building those relationships along the edges. Otherwise you wouldn't know that. And so when we are within a business context, how do we do this in a better more efficient, a stronger, more authentic way. An example that I've given a few times is the past company that I used to work for, the IT department was really big on um, draft day, you know, for fantasy football. And so I knew they would have this big thing in the IT department. And I would be there. I'd buy the pizzas for them. It'd be like, okay, what's what's going on? Talk to me about what's happening. I don't understand this whole fan. I understand football, but I don't understand fantasy football. So let's talk. That's authentic to me because I really do enjoy those sorts of things. And it's then when I need help, they're going to be a little bit more open, right? And so when it comes to that kickoff meeting and you need IT support for whatever it is that you want to roll out they may be more open to your suggestions because they realize that when you want to build a relationship with them and that you are in it to win it alongside them but also through those sorts of informal conversations you're getting an idea of what their pain points are you know you're talking to them about their frustrations about what keeps them up at night you know it's not just that IT wants to say no to everything some do let's okay some do but you know, for the most part, others just want to do right by the business and right by the people, just like you do. So it's understanding that as well. You know, so what ideas do you have that can help us do this better? And Maureen, I see your comment in there about the culture. Part of the process is to gain learner insights. Yes. And it is about culture. And I think that that's worthy of a discussion too, you know. Culture each strategy for breakfast every single day.
3: I mean, I started with the company like 27 years ago. And most of the reasons for things being underway was it was a specific directive from somebody higher up. And it's like, no questions asked. I said, this is what I want. Now deliver on it, you know? And so it has evolved over time where now it's also part of the culture that we want to be more of like a high-performing learning organization. And so at the top, the CEO is the one who has implemented some wonderful culture changes about the ways that we work together. And so it definitely makes it much easier that he at the top is the one who has said, nope, this Mm -hmm. is the expectation, as opposed to being like, you know, hi, I'm here from human resources or from learning, and I'm here to help, like, (laughs) you know. So it is about respecting that we have expertise in different areas, but that together we're going to be getting something across the finish line that we're all proud to have our name associated with.
0: It all comes from the top and it also is sustained by the middle. Most of us have probably worked for an organization where someone at the very top had really great aspirations, but then they've got the middle managers who are the blockers. And those are the people we really have to make an effort to make a relationship with because if the middle managers at the frontline managers, you know, they put the stop sign up for your learning initiatives, then that's just how it's going to go. You know, and that's all part of that cultural circle of life, I guess. And uh, what I like here. I think it was you, JD, you put it in there, something about samples or showing Douglas commander's intent. That's very true. There it is, JD. I'll offer samples of previous work. So how do you use that, JD, to build relationships?
4: It had to be in a place outside of our network so that they could get at it. I did have some proprietary stuff in there, but so I would create shorter samples But i would also post it someplace where they could easily access it you know and just send them the link to it say hey here's some samples of what i've done in the past i think this may benefit your department organization etc and then kind of backfill with what potential changes you might make with the content sometimes they bit sometimes they didn't so it was kind of a mixed the ones that did bite helped create future relationships with that department so I mean, it was a great way to let them know what my capabilities were and how I could support them, help them. And again, it was mixed. I had to put it in a place where they could easily access it. I tried not to include, because it was previous work, anything proprietary. Just let them go to it at their convenience, forcing them never
0: worked. <laughs> right. That never works anyway. How did you see this as a relationship building tool?
4: I was in the batter's box, just kept taking swings, trying different things. And, um, you know, it came to me one day, just create something, post it someplace where they could easily get to it and then try that. It got more traction than the other way of meetings and my boss talking to their boss, et cetera, that none of that worked. So finally, it was the samples that won over the the folks that I needed to have those conversations with.
0: And I, I like that. See, it's a different technique and depending on your organization, different techniques may be required, Yes, you know, to let people know what you can do, what the department can do. And that sort of leads into what our conversation will be about next week. And the conversation next week is about bridging the communication gap. And I think This is a good technique to help do that, right? Because it's a conversation starter. And when we start conversations, we start building relationships. So yay for thinking outside the box with that. And I'm going back to Douglas's comment here and I see other people. Erica, what is this with the don't play golf in football? What is that about? Is that directly to Douglas's comment about commander's intent? Douglas, I'll let you take this particular ball. So when you say commander's intent, what is it? what does that mean?
2: Ultimately, and what made me put that in the chat, Shannon, is what you said, right? So we have the big boss that says, I expect X, right? So that's the intent, right? I want to see this. How we get there, depending on what level or what type of manager, right? Their managing style. Sometimes they want to know Every twist and turn that we take, you went further and you said, okay, but it's the mid-level folks, right? That are going to be the ones that are actually going to really manage this day-to-day. You've got a Marine Corps background, right? The CEO says, hey, I want everybody dressed in X uniform, ready to go at eight o'clock. Cool. And then it flows down. So his intent is my people are going to be ready to go. You guys manage how that's going to get there.
4: Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then everybody kind of starts putting their own spin. I think in one of the conversations somebody put in there that there's these little offshoots, right? So how do we help continue to guide towards the commander's intent? So if we post that, use that as our, our guiding light, our, our spotlight, our, our aiming point, however, whatever crazy terminology you want to use, right? Whatever the flavor of the day is, but that's where we want to be. That's where we want to go. If we need to ask questions for direction, that's acceptable, right? And to go with Maureen, right? That trust is built on delivering and responding and pretty much all of the things that we've talked about thus far, right? There is none secret bean sauce on this one, right? Reading the room and knowing the the people. Get that from having conversations. And to JD's point, sometimes all you got to do is get your foot in the door, right? Right. The old elevator speech thing or in that case, right, here's a little compilation of things that I've done for other folks that have produced excellent results. Maybe they bite, maybe they don't, right? Mm-hmm. It's an effort. I would definitely encourage you to read the the uh, Commander's Intent thing that Erica posted. It will help.
0: And thanks for posting that, Erica. That, of course, will be in the resources. And I like that. Here's my follow-up thought on that. If you are fortunate enough to have a ld and d Department. Most people, it's the, it's an army of one. <laughs> That's right. Let's hear it. Let's hear it for those people. Army of one. Yeah. But maybe there's more, you know, maybe you work in an organization where there's more and it is a lead by example type of situation, isn't it? If we all are working together to build relationships, then we, we will build those relationships. All it takes is, you know, that weak link. You know, somebody in there who doesn't care and that will derail the whole effort. And it is an effort. I think it's a practice that is worth, that's worth continuing. You know, we have to keep building it. It's like any other relationship that we have in our lives. You know, you have to keep working at it, right? You have to continue to work to build that trust, to build those communication links, you know, to build that bridge where people are willing to come to you and you to them. And I think that it's it's all that continuous effort. And if you are being led by somebody who really cares about that effort, then it makes it easier. Yeah. I see that there's a lot of people jumping on the commander's intent here. So I, I think that's probably going to end up being part of our lexicon as we move forward there, Douglas. Thank you for that. Any other ideas, how we can build those relationships around the edges that might be. little bit more different so i love jd's idea and to kind of expand on that just a little bit too jd it's almost like you built a portfolio right so you built an internal portfolio here are the things that we've done
4: in a way yeah and um it was also something that i used to get this job so it helped after the interview hey if you're interested, here's some stuff I've done in the past. Take a look at it when you want. I knew as soon as I went in and, and looked at it that uh, I got an immediate response. So yeah, it helped. It was a overview of the services and you know what I could provide them in their organization.
0: I like that. I think it's a great idea. And as we come to the top of the hour here, Maureen put something into the chat, which I think is also very valuable when we talk about building relationships and I'll, I'll, again, I'll put this back into the analogy of life. Whereas if we are starting a new, let's say romantic relationship, you, you kind of want to get on well with mom and dad and sisters and cousins and everybody else around them. Right. And so it's the same thing as what Maureen has put into the chat. Don't forget about the administrative staff, you know, don't forget about the other people around you You know, they're they're people, you know? And so, yeah, if you get in well with, you know, somebody's admin person, you might be able to get on their calendar faster, but, you know, it's just the right thing to do. Let's just be nice to people, you know, and build those relationships. So I think, again, it's about breaking out of the silo that sometimes we put ourselves into. And we didn't really talk about how to do this virtually. So for people who are working from home, how do you build these relationships? We really didn't have a chance to talk about that and we're kind of out of time to. So I would ask you to consider that when you get um, the information about the resources here is just to have a think about how might we reach out either, you know, using the example that I did with, um, with Donna earlier, maybe it's just... Touch base type of emails or how you doing in the chat, you know, just to make sure that people realize that they're being seen and being heard. And that is a, a big step forward when it comes to building relationships, regardless of whether or not you're live or in this virtual space. Any last comments before we call it a Friday?
2: Shannon, one quick thing. You should have just led with that. You know that, Right.
0: Be kind to everybody. If I had said that, then the then the chat would have been like five minutes.
2: People are people. People want to be treated like people. I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, it doesn't get simpler or more succinct than that, right?
1: That's where the authenticity comes in and those TK words seen and heard. hmm Mm-hmm. Right. Even business
0: leaders all the way down. Everybody wants to be seen and heard. And last comment, I really, really like Nathan's virtual background. Nathan, you got it going on there, man.
7: Thank you, Erica. I hope I hope my learners enjoy it as much as you do. That's exactly the intent. So thank you very much.
0: Oh, it's it's uh, now I now I'm really looking at it. I thought it was a cloud. It's a cat.
2: (laughs) Nice. Uh, uh, Oh, I thought it was laser beam cotton candy.
0: Laser beam cat. Thank you everyone for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. As this conversation proves, building business relationships isn't just about showing up for meetings. It's about getting to know your audience and getting to be intimately knowledgeable about the business around you. As Donna started off, sometimes we can be a little too enthusiastic about what we do. We get all learning geek with everyone. And not everybody shares the same level of enthusiasm about being a learning geek as we do. And it can be hard to pull back, but we have to, because our enthusiasm just may turn the people off that we need to be turned on. We need to be as equally enthusiastic about what our audience cares about in order to build business relationships. But as Stella said, It could also be about quietly, or maybe not so quietly, showing that we can help with the problems that the business is experiencing. Maybe it's not our mandate, but if we can show we can be helpful, that gets a foot in the door. Every department needs help with something. How can we show that we care through action? In JD's case, it was about building an internal portfolio showing exactly what he could do. And this hooks the business on seeing the possibilities that L&D can provide. Mostly it's about Debbie and Heather's comments about curiosity. It's the organic collaborations that happen in the hallways in the coffee rooms, at lunch, or even online. Curiosity builds knowledge and knowledge helps us make connections. Because at the end of the day, if we are making it a habit to show that we are listening, that we value questions, and that we are practiced in the art of collaboration, then building those business partnerships becomes a byproduct of those efforts. There was a lot of good stuff here. A lot of thinking going on, and I like it when that happens, and I hope you do too. Well, you want to join us live, and you know you do, go on over to the learningrebels.com events page and sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.